So I recently came across an article written by Amanda Wortham, and she had a very descriptive line that caught my attention. She said, moving through this summer has felt like wandering through a mirrored maze of bad news. Does that resonate with you? It certainly resonates with me as we've lived through this year of, of COVID and have seen riots on TV and cities burning and seeming, seemingly the worst of our humanity being brought out in our country, living through a very de- divisive election cycle and, and just trying to make it through this year. And so when I saw this line, I thought, that's, that's exactly what this year has felt like, at least to me. And what was interesting is I looked at the footnotes, and this was an article written not this summer, but four summers ago in 2016. And I thought to myself, I don't remember what was going on there, but whatever happened during that summer that felt like wandering through a mirrored maze of bad news sure seems to pale in comparison to what we've had to navigate this year. On Friday, I came across this article on Reddit, a thread on Reddit, with the title, I really want Christmas to come early this year. And I thought, exactly, that's a a good way of summarizing just this year of bad news and longing for a season of good news. And then I followed the date on the article, and it was from March 23rd, 2020. That was the week after everything shut down in our country, at least here in the state of Texas. And I thought, wow, if the weariness had already set in for a crazy world, how much more so the case? We find ourselves here at the end of November, beginning of December, heading into the season of Advent. I really want Christmas to come early this year. What a sentiment. The season of Advent is meant to be a time, not simply of nostalgia, where we wish back to simpler days and life seemingly was easier to navigate than now, but it's a time of directed attention, where we think about the reason why Jesus came in the first place. We see these images of a of a toddler in a, in a manger and all the activities around what we call the nativity. And that's, that's a nice picture. But why did Jesus come? Why was he born into this world? And what good has come from him being born in this world? One of my favorite Christmas hymns is O Holy Night. And it has in this song, this wonderful line, a thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. And I thought, that's exactly what we need. What we need afresh this season of Advent. The thrill of the hope of Jesus Christ. So that our weary world can hear it afresh and rejoice in it. So we're going to take that line, a weary world rejoices. And we're going to use that as our theme for this season of Advent. So each of the Sundays leading up to December, I'm sorry, to Christmas, the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we're going to look at different aspects of the reason why we ought to rejoice in the good news of Jesus. And so today, we're actually not going to start with Jesus, but we're going to go all the way back to the book of beginnings, the book of Genesis, and God's determination to call out a single individual and to promise the blessing of Christmas. And so we're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 4. And as we get ready to look at these ancient words that prepare us to understand the good news of Jesus, let's pause for just a moment and to pray and ask God to teach us this morning and to open us up to whatever it is he wants us to take away from this place this morning. Let's pray. Lord, the description of a weary world is is a perfect description for, for the context in which we find ourselves this day. So many of us are 
just hanging on, trying to make it through another week, looking for really good news in the midst of a, a maze of seemingly endless bad news. So would you tune our hearts? Would you open our eyes to see and our ears to hear the good news that you proclaimed thousands of years before Jesus even arrived on the scene? And help us to understand your intentions to bless this world with salvation in Christ and change us this day, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So get ready to look at this. Let me just give a brief description of the context. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 12, but as you read through those opening chapters of Genesis, it lays before us the need for Genesis 12. And so, of course, the Bible opens in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, describing God's good creation in which he partners with humanity to establish his kingdom on the face of this world. But we don't get very far in the scriptures till we hear about the downfall of humanity, how our first parents turned their back upon God, seized the opportunity to define life and goodness for themselves and didn't want to be God's kings and queens anymore. They wanted to reign for themselves. And the scriptures continue, and we find the story in Genesis 6 about how humanity had grown so corrupt that every inclination of their hearts was evil all the time. What a description of, of humanity. And of course, there's that chapter, Genesis chapter 11, in which humanity, instead of scattering upon the face of this world to, to partner with God in what God had called humanity to do, rule with kindness and justice and grace, they stayed together in this place that is known as the Tower of Babel, where they wanted to make a name for themselves. And so God scattered them and so with the background of God's good creation going off track with humanity leading the way in rebellion against God, we come to Genesis chapter 12. And as we get ready to look there, I want to refer you to a quote from this book, The Mission of God by Christopher Wright. It's one of the most influential books I've read as a Christian. And he said, Genesis 1 through 11 poses a cosmic question to which God must provide a cosmic answer. What can God do next? That's a brilliant way of describing exactly where we find ourselves. I mean, God could come and just wipe this place clean, just forget about it. And yet that's not what he does. And we come to Genesis chapter 12, and this is what we find. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. Now, what we need to know is this man, Abram, is the character that we'll later know by the name of Abraham. And he is living in what is today Iraq. And he is worshiping the things that people worshiped back then. And God zeroes in on him, this 75-year-old man. And he says to him, go. Go from your country, from your kindred, from your father's house to the land I will show you. In verse 2. I will make you, I will make of you rather, a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. Here God says, He's taking the initiative. He says, I'm going to make you a great nation. That word nation is simply the word for people. He's going to make Abram into a great people. He wants to bless them, He wants to make His name great, so that He will be a blessing. And if we've been in tune with the story of Genesis so far, we'll remember the very first time blessing was spoken in Genesis chapter 1. Genesis 1, uh, I should say Genesis 1, 27 and 28, I think it is. God blessed them, and God said to them, 
Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God's original blessing was so that humanity may flourish. And it's gone off track. And so God comes once again and he speaks words of blessing. We're meant to understand that God is resuming his project of rescuing this world and partnering with humanity afresh here now in this person of Abram. And he says, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. God is on the move. And he singles out this one man and his family. Verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Do you hear the repetition of that word blessed and blessing? Over and over again, it is found in these short verses. That's against the backdrop of the word curse or cursing used five times in Genesis chapters 1 through 11, describing a world off track, uh, running in the opposite way that God had designed it to be. And so now in just three short verses, God comes and matches those words of curse with words of blessing. God's intention, if we have eyes to see it, in the call of Abraham is to begin his project of undoing the curse, of reversing this curse, of making his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Christopher Wright, once again in this book, The Mission of God, said, Genesis 1-11 through poses a cosmic question to which God must provide a cosmic answer. What can God do next? Something that only God could have thought of. He sees an elderly, childless couple in the land of Babel and decides to make them the fountainhead, the launch pad of his whole mission of cosmic redemption. The call of Abraham is the beginning of God's answer to the evil of human hearts, the strife of the nations, and the groaning brokenness of his whole creation. A new world, ultimately a new creation, begins in this text. Or we might put it like this. A new world, ultimately a new creation, begins with God's promise to Abram. God's Christmas promise to Abram. We fast forward to the end of Abram's life in Genesis chapter 22. God reiterates and affirms his purpose. Through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. There is a cosmic scope to God's intentions. As far as the curse is found, it's as far as he designs to make his blessings flow. And what's interesting, the writers of the New Testament, the disciples of Jesus, captured on to this language of blessing spoken to Abraham. Now that Christ has come, they interpret what God promised to Abraham in light of Jesus Christ. So, for example, take the Apostle Paul, this once enemy of Jesus, an opponent to the early Christian movement who, who converted upon encountering Jesus himself, wrote to these Christians living in the area of Galatia and writes the scripture for seeing that God would justify the nations by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham saying in you shall all nations be blessed someone says John I thought I thought the gospel was about Jesus it is the gospel is about the good news of Jesus and all that God intends to do in and through him to redeem and rescue this world. 
But what was spoken to Abraham was the seed of that promise. And here the Apostle Paul himself calls what God spoke to Abraham the gospel. Good news. Good news for you and good news for me. And he would say this in that same letter, the Apostle Paul. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. In other words, he's using a play here. That word offspring could be a collective term designating many or could designate one. And so what Paul, this new apostle of Jesus, says in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is that the promises spoken to Abraham were about Jesus. And we got to see that. We can't really understand the work of Jesus and his mission and what he intended to accomplish if we don't really understand the context and the backdrop of the promise of Christmas. Paul would go on that same letter to say, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the nations. Paul is saying, for those who have eyes to see, that original promise, that Christmas promise that God made to Abraham is found fulfilled in the person of Jesus. That's why the Apostle Peter, on that first day of Pentecost, 40 days, 50 days after uh, the resurrection of Jesus, stood up in the middle of Jerusalem and he said to the, the sojourners there, you are sons of the covenant that God made with your father saying to Abraham, and in you shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Here we see crystallized for us by both the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Paul, the intention of God in sending Jesus, which is to turn us back to himself, to turn us away from our insistence on living life for ourselves, of calling our own shots, of leaving harm and hurt in our wake, and to turn us back to God so we might enjoy the blessing of new relationship with him, the forgiveness of sins, and what will become the renewal of all things. So that's what we find in those first three verses of Genesis. And then verse 4 tells us, in response to what God said, So Abraham went, as the Lord told him, and lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So God came and made this promise to Abraham. And he wants to use Abram and his line and to ultimately bring blessing to this world through the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Abraham responds by saying, yes, Lord, I will do what you say. I will leave my family and my people and my father's house and I will go to the land I show you. So in doing so, Abraham's response of faith sweeps him up in the story of Jesus. In fact, when we get to the very first book of the New Testament, the Gospel of Matthew, we see Matthew tying in the life of Jesus to Abraham. And this is how it begins. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, the descendant of Abraham. He's tying us back into that story. So to summarize what we're trying to get at here, we could put it simply like this. Jesus did not come to start a new religion, but to fulfill an old promise. 
Jesus did not come to start a new religion, but to fulfill an old, old promise that God spoke to a 75-year-old man named Abraham in which he wants to bring blessing, or we should hear in that word blessing, salvation to this world. And so just a couple of points of application for us this morning as we think about the implications of this. The first point of application simply should be this. Let us rejoice that God kept his promise of Christmas. That should orient us and it should stir our souls that God made this promise to Abraham and he kept this promise. Now remember the four-part story of the scripture. Part one begins with the creation It continues to part two, describing the rebellion, or what we sometimes describe as the fall, leading to the third part of the story, which begins with the promise of Abraham, centers on the person of Jesus, and continues in the mission that Jesus has given his church, this story of proclamation of forgiveness of sins and redemption in Christ. And then it ends in the renewal of all things, what we call the restoration. That is God's purpose to finally and fully undo the curse of this world. We look at the book of Revelation. The Apostle John said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation and all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne, of, uh, before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. As John has given a picture of that coming glorious day, he sees a multitude without number. That's an answer to the promise of God to Abraham. Remember, we saw his name was Abram in the immediate context of Genesis chapter 12. That just simply means exalted father. When God changes his name to Abraham, his new name means the father of a multitude. And now we see this multitude without number, redeemed, standing before the God, rejoicing in the salvation that he has accomplished. We get to the very end of the book of Genesis, of Revelation, Revelation 21, and we're told that he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. Oh, how this weary world will rejoice when God comes to set all things to right. What Jesus described as the renewal of all things. Literally, Genesis again. The new day, the new beginning. Now, we don't know this from Scripture. But we can imagine that day when everything has been set right. When the curse has been reversed. And there's nothing but universal blessing. The renewal of all things. We can imagine God calling Abraham to himself and saying to him, See, I told you I would keep my promise. So my friends, let us rejoice that we serve a God who keeps his promise of Christmas. But let's also do this. Let us remember that we have been swept up into God's promise of Christmas. When we think about that four-part story of the scriptures, the first advent or the first coming of Jesus is behind us. The second coming of Jesus is still ahead of us. So we live now in this time between the times, the time when Jesus came and secured redemption 
and the time when he will come again and bring universal restoration. So when we hear that word Advent, and we set apart this time every year, we should think in our own minds about the once and future coming of Jesus Christ. And we're caught up in that. So my friends, as we live in this time between the times, we still live in a world that is stressed by waywardness of humans, that is stressed by a creation in rebellion against this creator. And God keeps renewing the day of salvation, the day offering grace to people like you and me, and he calls us all to respond to it. So we find ourselves living in this time between the times. We'll sometimes find ourselves sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as the Apostle Paul put it. He's writing to Corinthian Christians, followers of Jesus, who are experiencing persecution. Paul himself has been beaten and flogged and left for dead, and they're coming after him left and right for simply saying, there's a new king and his name is Jesus, and he offers to you salvation. So Paul can say, look, we do feel sorrow, but yet we are always rejoicing. Why? Because Advent 1 has come, and we are awaiting Advent 2. So I wonder if, thinking about our weariness with where we find ourselves in 2020, we might be able to substitute a word for sorrow and inject there the word weary. We are weary, and yet Christmas is meant to cause us to be always rejoicing because God has not forgotten us. He's not written this world off. He is in the process of sending his church to the four corners of this earth to proclaim the forgiveness and grace and mercy that's found in Jesus. And one day, he will say, enough. No more let sins and sorrows grow. The Apostle Paul tells us that if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring and heirs according to the promise. Do you see this, my friends? This should blow us away. The Apostle Paul, himself a Jew, writing to Jewish and non-Jewish followers of Jesus, says to them, look, if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You are a part of Abraham's family. It's not those who have Abraham's blood in their veins who constitute the people of God. It's those who have Abraham's faith in their hearts. And so if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring. You're a part of that family that God promised to Abraham that is meant to bless this world. And you are an heir according to that Christmas promise that God made to Abraham. So this should be our thinking. I have been blessed to be a blessing. If God called Abraham and wanted to bless him so that he could be a blessing... And we are part of the family of Abraham by faith in Christ, then we too have been blessed in order to be a blessing to this weary, weary world. And so let me say to you, maybe someone watching us or someone here today who's who's not really sure where they stand with God. And I want you to know that even today, God offers to you the gift of his son. So the question becomes for you, do you want to have him as your Lord and Savior? Do you want him to bless you with the forgiveness of sins? Do you want him to bless you with an eternal welcome into his kingdom? Do you want to be with your creator in the renewal of all things? The offer is there, as as we say sometimes, it's on the table. It's yours for the taking. 
If you will but turn to him and receive his grace in the person of Jesus. Jesus himself said, as we saw earlier in our service, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Jesus desires to give his his gift of blessing, rest, salvation to people like you and me. There's no qualifications on this offer except to feel your weariness and your heavy burden life and to bring it to him that he may renew you. So we sang a while ago, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room and heaven and nature sing. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. My friends, that is good news indeed. So Mercy Hill, may you rejoice in the God who keeps his Christmas promise. And may you find yourself this day, even today, swept up in his Christmas promises as we engage the story of Jesus and lean into it, making it 